Welcome to the podcast, How to Be Well and Strong. I'm your host, Jacqueline Genova, and I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with some of the leading figures in the fields of wellness, integrative medicine, and mental health, as we discover what it truly means to be well and strong in both body and mind. Get ready to be empowered, inspired, and motivated about being an advocate for your own health. Welcome back to another episode of the show, everyone. I personally am very excited to be speaking with Dr. Haley Schaff about this topic as it's definitely something that we all need to have more awareness of, and that is the process of detoxification. Dr. Haley Schaff is a functional chiropractor, integrative health practitioner, and podcaster with a master's in applied clinical nutrition. She is a former collegiate athlete who has a passion for teaching people how to bridge the gap between fitness and holistic health. With a focus on women's hormones and gut health, Dr. Haley has worked with thousands of people to regain their health through lifestyle, optimal diet, movement, and functional practices. Her main goal is to help you be the alpha of your health by understanding what being optimally healthy means for you. I love that alpha of your health. That's gold right there, Dr. Haley. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy that we connected and I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. And as I was just telling you before, it's always so hard choosing a topic because there is so much I want to cover, but I do try to go by what listeners have been asking for. And the concept of detoxification has definitely been one of them. And I know you can speak to this very well. So figure yeah, we can start there. such an important one. And it's such a big one and it means so many different things. And so I'm happy to talk about it because it's something that our body does every single day, but does our body do it optimally is the question. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of rise of whether it's kind of benign things like acne or hormonal issues or bloating all the way to, I mean, things like cancer and more obviously chronic diseases can definitely be an issue of our body not being able to eliminate things properly. So it's very important, like I said, whether you're dealing with kind of more small stuff or trying to prevent big stuff in the future, it's it's very, very important. I definitely resonate with that. It's funny too, because when I interview folks, I kind of selfishly use it as an opportunity to get my own personal health questions answered because oh, totally. medical advice, you know? So I'm like, all totally. right, go by what I've been going through. But let's start off with a very foundational question of what does it mean to detoxify the body? So essentially, detoxification is the body processing. It depends on what it is. It could be a chemical, it could be a pollutant, or it could be hormones. Essentially, it's taking it from a form, making it water-soluble so that our body can excrete of it through the urine and the stool. So essentially, that's happening on a daily basis. Your body's detoxing your hormones, your body's detoxing things that you might have had in your water or additives that might have been in food or chemicals and stuff that's in our lifestyle. Of course, we want to obviously mitigate those. That's definitely something we can talk about, minimizing kind of that overall rain barrel effect or you know, that overall toxic bucket, but our body's doing it on a daily basis. And if it's not doing it efficiently, such as if we're not having daily bowel movements, I think of our detoxification as kind of an, a funnel. And at the bottom of the funnel is your colon and bowel movements. And if you are not having one to three regular bowel movements a day, all those toxins just can, that your body did such a great job packaging up are now able to recirculate. And I see that as a case for so many people who struggle with hormonal issues, skin issues, obviously digestive issues. And so just being able to have a healthy bowel movement at least one to three times a day 
is, is so crucial before you even get to being able to detoxify the liver and, you know, gallbladder support and all that. If you're not having healthy bowel movements, it doesn't matter what everything is doing. So that's something where we all can start is just by making sure that our bowels are moving because that's really where everything gets packaged to be eliminated. And obviously we can process some metabolites and things like that through our urine too. So it's definitely important, like obviously drug tests and things like that and hormones and all that stuff also shows up in urine as well. So it's definitely important to make sure we're not overhydrated. We're not underhydrated. It's, it's kind of right in the middle. You want to make sure obviously that we're being able to kind of use both drainage systems appropriately. But I think of so many people who just don't have regular bowel movements to begin with. And then that just sets them up for a cascade of negative events because then that places extra burden on their detoxification organs like their liver because when you don't get rid of things, things recirculate. And so your body kind of has to go through and process those things all over again. So it really does start with the bowels, in my opinion. And the irony is I feel like people can get used to what I guess is quote unquote normal for them, right? Mm -hmm. Not recognizing that it's actually not healthy. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely one symptom. You touched on it before with acne, but what are some other common symptoms, I guess, to be able to tell if our bodies are overloaded or not detoxing properly? So any type of skin issue I see, um, whether it's eczema or psoriasis, some people are more prone to certain things. So some people are more prone to acne. Some people are more prone to like eczema, rashes, dermatitis, things like that. Um, Some people can notice um, just hormonal issues, more like PMS or estrogen dominance or you know, because their their estrogen and their their metabolites of their hormones aren't properly able to be excreted. So sometimes it just can be like PMS or feelings of that. Obviously, the uncomfortable bloat and just not feeling great. Your energy can be a little bit more sluggish because your body's having to work a little bit harder. Um, those are, I'd say, the most like very common things that I see. I work with a lot of people who have it's probably also the most common things I see because that's like I feel like most of my caseload is hormonal stuff, acne, skin issues. So that's just, that's a lot of what I see. But of course, by by no means is that an all-inclusive list. That makes sense. And you mentioned the liver. So my understanding is that that's our primary organ involved in our body's natural detox process. Are there any other major organs that play critical roles? The gallbladder um, is very important. And I mean, they they very much so work closely together. But yeah, the liver is the main organ that is kind of acting as like a filtration system. So it's taking something, taking it, neutralizing it, and then getting ready to get it out of the system. So yeah, the liver is mainly responsible for that. Um, but it's using help from the gallbladder to be able to uh, produce bile, which will emulsify certain toxins, especially help the body get rid of excessive hormones, uh, especially estrogen. So I usually see a lot of estrogen issues when people have kind of a sluggish liver gallbladder, or maybe um, they're not efficiently making bile or whatever that may be, because you don't technically need your gallbladder, but it is not, I don't see it as much of an accessory organ. Like we don't need to cut it out. I don't think we should. Um, So many people are kind of quick to get their gallbladders out, but what was the reason that you're gallbladder was having issues, it's probably because of a liver issue. So they very much so go hand in hand. And then when one gets taken away, it puts even more emphasis on the other one for additional support. So those are just, I mean, very, very kind of important. But I mean, the skin is a huge detoxification organ. Um, We don't think of it as much that way. But I 
you know, we think of like, you know, the liver, 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 like that's what, that's what detox means. But I mean, the skin is a huge detoxification organ, sweating. I mean, look at just the huge benefit of infrared saunas and just saunas and sweating in general. I know so many people who struggle to sweat and how that essentially they're just, their body isn't getting rid of just simple things. I mean, we can get rid of heavy metals and mold and everyday kind of phytoestrogen or excuse me, xenoestrogens and just different things, just be able to get through our, our skin. That's, that's a huge reason skin conditions can also happen is because it is your body trying to protect you. It's your body trying to push things through your skin. Sometimes it just doesn't come through the way we want. We don't want to see acne. We don't want to see psoriasis or eczema, but sometimes that is our body's way of just trying to protect us and push things through. Um, so that's obviously a huge detoxification organ. The lymphatic system is very, very a huge detoxification system. So our lymph, we think of more in terms of, you know, if we can feel a lymph node when we are maybe feeling under the weather and not optimally healthy, like if we're, you know, having a cold, we can kind of feel a lymph node in our, our neck or underneath our jawline. But our lymph um, is, a, is a huge way that we can process different toxins and things that we're exposed to because that lymph is, it needs movement. And so if it just sits there, then that bacteria and viruses and those toxins can just kind of continue to accumulate. And that's obviously going to create issues too. We want our body moving like a nice flowing stream. Anytime anything becomes stagnant in nature, it just breeds disease and breeds. I mean, look at, if you think of like a pond, that's all green and gross, there's no river or water or anything flowing into it. It just, it's, it's a breeding ground for just disgustingness. Whereas like a fresh flowing stream or something like that, it just looks healthy. It's vibrant. It has energy. It has vitality. Our body is kind of the same type of way. And our lymph system is very much so, uh, I feel under discussed, uh, in the context of detoxification. And so when I was referring to that funnel, the most important obviously is your colon. Cause no matter what, if you're not removing things through your bowels, that's gonna, that's kind of step one. Step two would be, through um, the liver and gallbladder. Step three is through your lymphatic system. And then step four would be obviously more so at the cellular level, being able to like really detoxify at the, at the cellular level. So if we can look at it that way, it kind of puts kind of a holistic piece of everything together. And then obviously thrown in there is like, would be your skin, you know, kind of probably thrown in around like the lymphatic system. Like th- that's obviously very important. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very overarching there's a lot of moving pieces. It's not just one piece. Like we kind of, you know, typically think detox. Okay. That means liver. Yes, it does. But it's, it's interesting because it, there's so many, there's, it's very multifaceted, which makes it interesting, um, but also makes it a lot of fun at the same time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I love the pond analogy and going back to skin, our skin is our body's largest organ, right? And we don't necessarily Mm -hmm. think of our skin as an organ. So I'm, I'm so glad you touched on that. And with regards to our lymph system, two practices that I started integrating that have made such a difference, in addition to my morning sauna session, have been rebounding and then dry brushing, which again, I wasn't too consistent with. But once I started to become more consistent, I really have noticed quite the difference. So those are two staple practices that I I try to do on a daily basis. Yeah, I love it. I love dry brushing. I actually for a while was kind of inconsistent with it. And so I just brought my dry brush a few months ago in the sauna. And so I'll just do it like when I first get in there. And it's so easy because it's like, I'm just going to sit here anyways. I might as well kind of double the benefit. So I love dry brushing. I love rebounding. I love contrast therapy. So hot, cold therapy. So sauna, cold shower or sauna, cold plunge or 
whatever. Um, that's really great too. Cause anything manual, um, whether it's temperature or physical movement or manual movement is going to move that lymph system. And I see this a lot, especially with lymphatic driven acne, acne that shows up in the same spot or, um, you, you know, like exactly the places that you're going to break out or especially if you're prone to like that chin or jawline area, a lot of that times that can be lymphatic, especially if it's like on your neck somewhere where there's a lot of lymph nodes. Um, the adding in that lymphatic support is, is, is amazing. And plus, even if you don't struggle with that, even if you struggle with puffiness, um, or you're losing definition in your jaw, or you have puffy eyes, or your hands and feet are swollen a lot, all essentially, that is just telling me like, you just don't have good lymphatic movement. And that those techniques can be really, really helpful and simple. I mean, it's just jumping in place or, uh, moving your body, you know, it, it, it's just kind of things you have to be mindful of, but they really are very powerful. You just touched on my morning routine. That's essentially what I do. Love I get it. into my sauna. I have an apartment, so I don't have room for like a big sauna, but I do have yeah. a sauna blanket, um, which oh, I awesome. love. And I sweat so much in it. Even if I'm in it for like 10 minutes, I look That's like awesome. I just emerged from a pool, but I do that. And then I'll right away jump into a cold shower. Although I am dealing with a bit of HPA axis dysfunction. So mm. I'm trying to balance, balance right, some bit. of those hormetic stressors with also making sure I'm, you know, keeping my parasympathetic state happy. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a fine balance. Totally. Um, but also too, I was just curious I don't really get massages all that often. In fact, I've probably mm-hmm. had less than like three in my entire life. But about a month or so ago, I actually went to a naturopathic doctor who offered like manual lymphatic massage therapy in her office. Mm-hmm. And I went for one and I don't know how to describe it. She used this like metal tool that was like electrical mm-hmm. and it was the strangest sensation, but it felt like like a weight was just lifted off of every single area that she was massaging with this thing. Have you heard of that? And, and I've heard of it. I've never had a lymphatic massage, but I have heard people say that. I've heard them say like, it's nothing what they expected because it's very light pressure. Like you yes. don't need to be using deep, heavy pressure. The lymphatic system is like right below your skin. So it's it just, it needs to be generally very light. And so um, I have heard really good things about people who do it, who just feel very light, who feel airy and just like you said, pressure off. That was a good way to describe it. I love those just easy, natural, tactical strategies that folks could just, you know, incorporate into their daily routine. Now, switching to nutrition, which is one mm-hmm. of my favorite areas to discuss. We know that food is medicine. And I've read a lot of literature on the benefits of specifically cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage which contain compounds like sulforaphane, which has been shown to actually upregulate our body's own innate capacity to detox. So can you tell us a bit how you use food as medicine in assisting the body's natural detoxification processes? Yeah, so I definitely agree. And I, I love to just be able to utilize, essentially, whenever we're building a plate, how can we make it to our benefit, right? So, and we can kind of use it strategically. Like if somebody is struggling with bowel movement support, or maybe they're not having regular bowel movements, I love utilizing raw carrot salads. One, because it's really great for detoxing extra estrogen, the insoluble and soluble fiber of the carrot kind of help to bind excessive hormones and toxins, 
and it acts to kind of move through your bowels. So it's a great functional food. It's generally easy to digest. Um, you assume it, despite it being raw, it's, it's very easy to digest for most people because generally some raw vegetables can be more challenging. But as, in terms of like the cruciferous, if people are struggling with estrogen dominance or any types of those skin things, um, I just tell them to kind of, we find ones that they like and we kind of build it into their lifestyle, whether they like arugula or cauliflower. I like broccoli sprouts a lot, especially for people who struggle to digest things. Like, cause I know that cruciferous, I know they're so good, but some people just really struggle to break them down if they're struggling with any underlying gut stuff. But I love the broccoli sprouts for that reason, cause they're sprouted, they're pre-digested and just the amount of nutrition in a small amount is equivalent to such you'd have to eat so much broccoli to equate what you can get through an ounce of broccoli sprouts so that's one of my favorite functional foods for detox because it's easy you can sprinkle it on anything on eggs you can put it on a salad you can put it in smoothie it's there's so many different ways that you can utilize it and it's generally going to agree with most people's digestive systems but otherwise if if people still can digest those cruciferous. We just kind of find ones that they like, or we we see what's in season at that time. And we just kind of find ways to incorporate it and how much they should incorporate it will definitely depend. Like somebody with stage, you know, estrogen positive breast cancer is going to need to eat a lot more, or their protocol is going to look different than someone who's just struggling with mild estrogen dominance. You know, that's in terms of like the frequency and how much that's, that's definitely going to vary. But for the most part, um, just kind of finding ways that we can incorporate those foods. I also love utilizing herbs like dandelion and burdock root. They're great lymph movers, great general detox support. Um, you can put dandelion greens and things like that if you don't, hopefully you don't spray your lawn, but you, I've just gone out in our yard and picked them before or, and dried them and made a tea. I mean, there's so many different foods that we can use functionally like that. Um, I also really like to utilize uh, beef liver because it contains all of the vitamins, minerals that our own liver needs to be able to process detoxification. And so if people don't want to consume it, there are like desiccated forms of it. But that was a huge one for me in terms of like what I feel like really helped move the needle a lot. It just tons of nutrition and a very small amount of food. Um, we talked about the cruciferous. Those are a big one. Um, artichokes are really great. Beets are really great. Um, beets are really great for just movement in general. Any type of like red food can help a lot with the blood flow and all that type of stuff. So what's nice is um, there's definitely an array of different foods that we can kind of choose from to be able to support. And if you are having a hard time or you want to incorporate more, you can incorporate maybe a cup of dandelion tea a day or dandelion and burdock or something like that to just kind of help move, move the system a little bit further. If you maybe weren't getting like an extra serving of cruciferous or something like that in. You hit the nail on the head, right? Women with estrogen positive breast cancer, like that, that needs to be a staple. In fact, my mom takes um, a DIM supplement, which for listeners stands for, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, like methane, yep. which is basically a compound derived from the digestion of indole 3 carbonyl, which as you mm-hmm. just mentioned, is found in cruciferous vegetables. Also to like women who struggle with estrogen dominance in terms of PCOS or endometriosis, up your cruciferous vegetable intake, because just like you said, that'll help with your estrogen metabolism um, and help your Mm -hmm. body remove that excess estrogen. So really, really important there, especially for women. Um, Mm -hmm. And also too, there's a lot of talk about different detox diets, right? Mm -hmm. And cleanses. And again, this is such a nuanced area, but you'll hear people be like, oh, I'm going on a juice cleanse for five days to help my body detox. Can those do more harm than good? And what are your thoughts on that? And I know 
there's also cleanses like the owl venice cleanse I'm, I'm not sure if you've heard of that it's essentially like a bone broth cleanse where you can also incorporate vegetables and other type of cooked foods throughout the three to five day period but what are your thoughts on all of that um i'm generally not a fan um I mean, it, I think it really depends on the context, but I think for like the average American, like if we just cleaned up the processed foods, that's going to act as a cleanse in itself. Whereas I think so many people are just so quick to go to these extremes. Whereas like, okay, don't no food, just broth. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, you talking about like an average American versus like someone with cancer, like those are two different situations for me where I can't really compare the two and and there's so many different camps, but for somebody who's like, Oh, I want to help support detoxification. Like just going on a juice cleanse. I'm not really a fan, especially because a lot of the juices and stuff that you're going to buy can be loaded with sugar. I mean, if you want to start incorporating like a cucumber juice or celery juice or something like that with your meals that you're doing whole food based, a balance of protein, um, whole food carbohydrate, like a sweet potato or, you know, beets or veg, like whatever that is. Like I'd rather have someone do that, still be able to eat, but just minimize the things that aren't serving the body instead of like extreme cutting. Because what I find that those juice cleanses lead to is people drop weight and then they're going to gain it back right away. And then they're going to be discouraged and like, well, it didn't work. So I'm going to go back to what I was doing before. And it's like, that's not the point. Uh, one and two, it's just not sustainable. Whereas I'd rather have people add all this great abundant food to their lifestyle, make it a lifestyle. You feel good and you reap the benefits for a long time. That's personally, like, that's my personal thing. When I was younger, I remember I tried those stupid things where it's like, eat only vegetables for one day, eat only fruit for one day. I think I got to like the second day and I was so active and I was like, I'm going to pass out. This is not healthy. Um, again, I'm not, ter- I wasn't super ill. I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I didn't have any extreme health conditions. And so for like the average person, I don't feel like that stuff is is warranted now in certain cancer clinics or whatever, or supervised situations. I feel like those things can definitely have a place, but for someone who's just trying to support detoxification, like let's just work on shopping local at your local farmer's market, trying to put more good whole foods on your plate and minimize the food that you're eating out of the pantry. And that's going to feel like a detox to your system in itself. And it's going to be sustainable. Yeah. That's my personal opinion, though. I I love that approach. No, I I agree with that. And since we're talking about extremes, what are your thoughts on fasting? And obviously, this has a different meaning according to whatever application or health Mm -hmm. concern you're addressing. Obviously, it has incredible benefits, for example, in terms of helping your body start with the process of autophagy and Mm -hmm. self-cleaning. But Mm -hmm. for someone who is already very heavily burdened with toxins, could that actually backfire Um, it's a very nuanced question. It's a good question. And, and I don't, I don't think fasting, I get this question a lot because there's like, there's two camps, like where it's like fasting is the only way to heal. And then there's the other camp where it's like fasting is the devil and it's horrible and we should never, ever fast. So it's like, I don't, I don't believe either of those camps are correct. Whereas I think for the average person, I see a benefit of not eating all the time. Like our body should have an overnight fast. And especially for me, um, with a family history of breast cancer, like there's significant research that 13 to 14 hours overnight is very protective against things like breast cancer. That's super easy for me to do. I stop eating at six. I eat breakfast the next day, seven thirty, eight o'clock. Like that's an easy 13 hour fast. I'm still getting those benefits and metabolic benefits. I think that's great. Um, now I see fasting is you got to also look at your overall stress. 
you wouldn't be a great candidate to do maybe like a 16 to 18 hour fast every day. Like maybe you could fit one in once a week if you wanted to get the autophagy benefit, but you wouldn't be adding on working out and cold exposure and things like that on top of it. I think it's a balance where people, people want to say like, is this good? Yes or no. And and it's, it's, I don't work like that with fasting because it's, it is a really great natural healing modality. And when we talk about like things like anti-cancer and things, but I see it as more super beneficial when we're using it appropriately. You're not overdoing it. We're not like everybody in our society is like all or nothing. It's like I'm fasting 18 hours or nothing where it's like, can you just do 12? <laughs> can you just do yeah. 13? Like just an overnight, you're still going to get the benefit. It's not going to be overstressing to your system. So that's kind of the camp that I sit at. And plus, I think it also depends on where our hormones are, follicular phase, when we're in the kind of first half of our cycle, our body's a lot more resistant to stress. Whereas in the second half, especially second half of the luteal phase, like that week before your period, we're not going to tolerate as much. We can't tolerate as much stress. So maybe you just need to kind of do an overnight and eat first thing in the morning. So I think it really depends. And I know that's probably not the answer that your listeners are looking for, but hopefully you can take that nuance and apply it to your life, whether it's, okay, I'm trying to balance my hormones right now. I want to be smart and I don't want to overstress my body. Or you're like, I'm in a good place. I feel good. Like maybe let me do a longer fast day. I've done, I think one 24 or 36 hour fast in like my life and it was fine. But looking in hindsight, it wasn't the right way to do it. I was riding on cortisol all day. I had worked out that morning um, it just, it wasn't the right way to do it, but I do see the benefit for longevity and anti-cancer with those things when used appropriately, but not overdone. Yeah. I, I resonate with all of that. And I think a consistent theme that I have learned in the time I've been in this space is that moderation is truly the answer, right? Yeah. There's so many extremes in every single area, be it nutrition, you know, exercising, but truly you have to find that middle balance and, and that's the sweet spot for pretty much everyone. Um, and also to your point about fasting the really long fast, I did a 48 hour fast about two months ago thinking again, I, cause I, I like to experiment on myself and sometimes it's not to my benefit, but right. I do it because I like to share my experience with my listeners. And again, I did this 48 hour fast and it was brutal. <laughs> Again, a month after when I actually had all my hormones tested and realized my cortisol levels are very, very low, which is why I was fatigued all the time. I started to work with my doctor and figure out, okay, I have HPA axis dysfunction. My adrenals are burnt out. I can no longer be doing these extreme fasts. Not that I did all the time, but I would fast for about 16 to 18 hours. Every day. One, yeah. But one critical thing she said, she's like, you need to eat three meals a day. She's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks. And we're going to like retest your cortisol in a month or so. Yep. So I've been doing that. I do have energy. I'm not relying on caffeine or other stimulants. Yeah. But again, everyone's different and you can't totally. You know, sure. There's benefits, but you have to address your current profile right. in life. Your and gender. I think that there's a misconception too, that you need to skip a meal. Like technically I fast every day, 13 to 14 hours, but I eat three, I eat over yeah. 2000 calories every day. Um, so it doesn't mean like you just skip a meal. I've done that in the past and my cortisol had also looked the same. Um, and so I was like, okay, two meals a day is not, I'm not getting in enough nutrition, but if I, I just would tell people even just for circadian rhythm benefit, just push your meals earlier. And I'd rather have people finish eating earlier in the day than like the 12 to eight, like that's horrible for your circadian rhythm. Like that's just not beneficial exactly. at all. I think that we need to like redo and everyone needs to kind of relearn what they think they know about it 
and we need to turn it into a more hormone appropriate circadian rhythm appropriate form. <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. We have such similar schedules. I stop eating too at six o'clock. I'll have my oh, yeah, I, breakfast around like nine and then six o'clock I'm done. Yeah. Same. Like I, I don't like to like whenever we make dinner reservations, we're like five, five thirty. I just, Same. I don't like to eat late, especially cause we go to bed early and I like to be done yeah. eating at least two hours, two to three hours before I go to bed. And so um, for me, it just works because I'm an, I'm an early riser, early to bed. And so I like to push my eating schedule to, to kind of mitigate that. I'm very active. And so I need, I need that fuel and that substrate earlier in the day because it's just, it's not beneficial. Like if you do a early morning workout, but you're not eating until noon, like your body is just, that's not health. That's not any extra detoxification support. It's extra stress, which then you have to detoxify that extra cortisol. So I think if we can be more strategic about how we are using these different tools, whether it's sauna and cold plunger, uh, certain forms of fasting or intermittent fasting, and just meal spacing out your meals appropriately and adding in these foods and balance that with our hormones, I think that we'd be in such a different place than kind of what I feel like most people think about these modalities. No, absolutely. I feel it quite honestly. Like if I eat after even seven o'clock, I I, I won't get a good night's rest. And also too, like there's a lot of research that shows that your body also can't properly go through that process of autophagy and clean Mm -hmm. up when you're sleeping. If all of its energy is dedicated to digesting the food you just ate, so I've become a lot more sensitive to that, again, just because I'm more in tune with my body now. But yeah, if I eat after seven o'clock, I will feel it even the next morning. I just won't feel right. Yeah, we're, I'm the same exact way. And it's, it's important to like know how your body works and operates. And obviously, if someone's listening to this and they don't go to bed till 10, 11, they can get away with stuff like that. But I, I just can't. Yeah, no, I hear you. Same, same page there. Shifting gears a bit. Coffee enemas. Mm. What are what are your thoughts on those? Because yeah. I've heard there's a lot of benefits, especially for someone with cancer. Also, too, I know like if you go to Google, which hates alternative health. Oh yeah, you can't look it up, up on with, like yeah, with like the risk of like infection and you know bowel perforation or whatever. What are your thoughts on coffee enemas? I'm a big fan of coffee enemas, truthfully. Um, I, I think that they're great. I don't think, again, they, I don't think they need to be used every day by everybody. Um, maybe they can, but I'd say for me, I do maybe one to two a month. When I was kind of in a certain form of my healing phase, I had to do a few a week. I think it kind of depends on the season of life that you're in and what your goal is. But for me, um, knowing that I've just, I always have to place a little bit of extra emphasis on detoxification support for me. Um, it was a very helpful tool, truthfully. And it, it's it's amazing. It can boost your glutathione. It can boost it 800% or 800 times like the normal limit before you did the coffee enema, which glutathione is our body's master antioxidant. It is, it's amazing. And it's so cool because our body can make it ourselves. Um, but you can support glutathione production with things like coffee enemas. It's great. I've had people pass a lot of gallstones. I've had people pass parasites just from coffee enemas without doing a parasite cleanse. Um, I just know that I feel like I feel the glutathione after I feel like my body was getting rid of what it didn't need. And um, I think it's a great tool. I don't think it's a requirement. I don't think it's necessary. I'm never going to force somebody to do a coffee enema. Even if I think it's the best thing in the world for them, I would still never be like, you have to do this. I'd be like, it's, it's a great tool if you're open to it, uh, but it's by no means something that 
if you don't do it, it's just the end of the world, but it is a really, really cool tool. And uh, yeah, you just can't look it up online or Google because they think it's like the weirdest thing. But meanwhile, we've been doing like, we've given enemas and things like that to really sick patients for years. And for some reason, because people are learning to do it on themselves and healing naturally, it's now something that's extremely dangerous. Obviously, uh, the only research that I've seen in terms of like bad stuff is people burning their rectums. Like, well, that's just common sense. You don't put hot coffee. Like I always kind of test it with my pinky. Can I hold my pinky in there for comfortably for 20 seconds? If I can't, I wait. <laughs> like, it's just yep. like at that point, it's just like, it's just natural selection. You just don't yeah. do stuff like that. But otherwise yeah. I have, I have yet to find any negative research on it, not hurting people other than if they are just not cleaning the things properly. Like it's just, it's very simple. Uh, it, it, it really doesn't have to be like a difficult process, especially once you get the hang of it. But again, it's, it's by no means a requirement. Yeah. That's good to hear. I first heard about coffee enemas through the Gerson therapy, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you're familiar with. And for listeners, it's basically just this very intensive protocol for patients with late stage cancer, which just consists of juicing and coffee enemas. And I think he advocates for like at least six coffee enemas a day. And when I read that, I was like, how do how do patients do that? But people have done it and have been very yeah. successful. Um, but no, that, that's super interesting. I don't do coffee enemas, but I do use castor oil packs. Love castor night. oil packs. Yeah. I use one from um, Queen of the Thrones and Me it's basically too. just, yeah, put a tablespoon of castor oil, put it on this little like, I don't know how to describe it, like a cloth, this organic cotton cloth, which mm-hmm. is really important because obviously that's it's on your skin. And I sleep with it overnight and that is great for, for liver health. Can you just touch on the benefits of, of castor oil? Yeah. Back to how I was mentioning, um, that coffee enemas can boost glutathione. So can castor oil packs. Um, castor oil is really interesting in its ability to get into the dermis of the skin. It's a great lymphatic mover. It's really great at contracting the liver gallbladder ducts. So essentially kind of pushing bile through the system, which can help with constipation, um, your body being able to detoxify hormones just reducing inflammation in that area. Plus that physical wrap of wearing the pack helps to boost glutathione or excuse me, dopamine production and kind of oxytocin. It's like those feel good hormones. So that's why when I do my sauna and shower and skincare at nighttime, I love finishing it off by throwing on that castor oil pack. It's like, I'm giving myself just like this big self-care hug and I've been wearing them for years. And then a few years ago when I got in touch with Queen of Thrones, I was like, oh my God, I've been doing this whole wrong my whole life because it, it was such a process before of having to get like this organic cotton like thing. And then I'd wrap, which now thinking about it, that was horrible. I would wrap plastic around myself to keep it on. And I would sit there and I was using like a non-organic castor oil out of a plastic bottle. I was doing it very wrong. Um, but I, I still noticed like some kind of benefits with it, but I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, I would never do that stuff ever again. But you want to get organic hexane-free castor oil and a glass bottle if you can. Dark glass bottles, extra bonus points because it's not going to be oxidized. But then, yeah, like you mentioned, the organic wool cotton flannel is very important because that's in constant contact with your skin. And you can't just... you. <laughs> The castor oil in itself has a lot of benefits, but that paired with the pack is really where you're getting a lot of the benefit because you're getting the heat. You're getting um, obviously all the different hormone production, which is helping the body relax. So it's really great for getting your body in a parasympathetic state. And I know people who just, they sleep better with it. They feel very calm and they just feel like their body's processing things. Like 
I had one woman come up to me once I was at an event. She's like, I started wearing your castor oil pack and I didn't have painful periods. I didn't change anything else. And I was like, wow, what a testament to like how beneficial it can be. But it's amazing. And I know a lot of different integrative there, uh, integrative cancer clinics across the United States and Mexico. And it's a very like widely known thing. And so I think it's cool when you see these therapies being used for obviously cancer patients, there's things that we can use on our end to be more preventative. And I think that that's how we should start looking at some of these therapies like castor oil packs and sauna and coffee enemas potentially is I'm not doing these things to the extent that I would if I was in an inpatient treatment center, but I'm trying to kind of sprinkle these things into my lifestyle to kind of, you know, act as more of a prevention than anything else. And I think that that's the mindset that we need to have instead of, oh, shoot, I got a diagnosis. Now I'm going to do all the things. Why can't we start sprinkling in maybe some of those things before so that we hopefully don't get to that point? Because that's where I believe that we need to go or else nothing is going to change. There are so many things that we can do on a daily basis. I mean, just to tie into that point with just ensuring that our body's toxic burden isn't even that high, right? So things like, for example, not touching the paper receipt you get from the grocery store. And that, you know, a few years ago, like that didn't even cross my mind. You don't think anything about that. But when Mm -hmm. I read the literature on the amount of literally like plastics that go into your skin just from touching a paper receipt, it's insane. And even things like dry cleaning, like so many people just drop off their clothes at a dry cleaner, not recognizing that they're most likely using chemical laden washers that again, are going to be absorbed into your skin when you wear the clothes. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are some other, I guess, like hidden things that can contribute to our toxic burden that we should, we should look out for? Definitely personal care stuff. Fragrance is a big one because it's a huge xenoestrogen as are phthalates and parabens. So essentially a xenoestrogen is a synthetic form of estrogen. So it mimics estrogen. So the body internalizes it and treats it just like estrogen. And those are huge ones where I think I don't want everyone to think if you're listening to this and this is new information for you that you need to go home and throw out everything that you have, but just start being mindful about reading the labels and the candles and the soaps and all this stuff. I mean, we all have a bucket and, you know, the faster we fill that bucket, the more efficiently we need to be at unfilling it or getting rid of that water. And a lot of people struggle with that. So we think of how toxic accumulation can absolutely impact us and, So I think it's avoidance as much as you can and trying to be mindful of what's in your environment, like the plugins and the scents and all that stuff. Just be mindful of that stuff. Start reading the ingredients in your personal care. And then when you run out of something, just switch it for something better. And in terms of things that we can be doing on a daily basis, moving your body, sweating, having daily bowel movements, making sure you're hydrated, and then adding in a lot of the things that we talked about. Like, I love dandelion tea and the different functional foods and um, maybe wearing a castor oil pack a few times a week. And maybe you do a coffee enema once in a while in a blue moon, depending on what your goals are and where you are. Um, I mean, obviously, again, those are tools, but sweating is very important. And I just think about how many people struggle to just sweat. And you don't have to have a sauna. Um, to be able to sweat, you can do it through exercise or I love Epsom salt baths. Epsom salt baths are a really great way to detoxify and really calm the body because the magnesium. Um, so there really is a lot of different things that we can do on a daily basis. I call them kind of like daily detox practices. It's kind of like I'm avoiding things that I know don't serve my body super well, but then I'm adding in 
really great things that that do and do support detoxification and help my body process and eliminate things more efficiently. It's about those small daily changes, right? Small steps. And I think too, yeah. it's also about making them fun. So like mm-hmm. one thing, for example, that I've started doing is I make like these coffee, well now decaf coffee, milk thistle lattes or all put, like, a little teaspoon of milk thistle, which is an herb that acts as a really powerful liver cleanser by rebuilding our liver cells into my morning coffee. And that mm-hmm. right there is a fun detox tool to use that you don't even think it's a detox tool. It's just some fun thing. So mm-hmm. I think when you can be creative, right, with ways like, or just like you said, in your nightly self-care routine, that castor oil pack is like giving yourself a big hug, like make that part of your your nightly routine, you know? And it, again, it becomes something that you look forward to doing, not something that you feel obligated to do. And I think that's that's really key in building sustainable practices. I agree. I do kind of the same type of thing in the morning. I'll do like warm lemon water, um, which lemon's really great for detoxing the liver. It's also great for digestion. Um, But then I'll put like a tincture, you know, a liver support tincture and stuff in there. And it's just fun. It's like, I feel like I'm making like a little cocktail. Um, And with that, with cocktail, I will say, um, be mindful, obviously, of alcohol. It's something I didn't even mention, like in terms of toxic burden. Obviously, we know that Anytime that you're ingesting alcohol and you're struggling with liver detox, everything else gets pushed to the side. And, you know, we mentioned cancer. Alcohol is a huge contributing factor to most, if not all, cancers. And so that should definitely, if that's not something that you already were thinking about in terms of maybe limiting or being mindful of, that's definitely something that I would recommend. That's something I've pretty much cut out completely from my diet. Not that I was ever a huge drinker in the past, but it's made such a difference. Um, yeah. I think too, I had, I had a glass of wine at a, I think it was Christmas last year and it was like literally half a glass of wine and I felt it the next day. I just, I didn't feel good because I'm the same way. So sensitive. Me too. And I think, I mean, like I mentioned, I already struggle with detoxification issues, whether it's MTHFR or just slow processes. And I've realized that the older that I get, I, I would do like maybe an organic wine. And, and for a while that was okay. Like, you know, once on a special occasion once in a while, but it got to last year where I just was having horrible reactions from one glass of organic wine or something. And I'm like, I just can't even do it anymore. I haven't had anything since December 31st. And I literally probably will never have anything again. I just, my body feels amazing and I have fun without it. I hang out with my friends without, like I've, I just can live my life without it, which if that's not everybody, I get that that's not everybody. Everybody's on their own journey and I respect that. But if you are struggling with some, if you want to support your liver and detoxification, obviously that has to be something that is looked at. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. You should come over, come visit me in South Carolina. I'll make you a cucumber spritz. I made it and it was so good. And it was just a fun alcohol-free cocktail. It literally had like, Owl Venice's liver cleanse dropper, which has like burdock root and milk thistle, but Love it was it. so fun. And I was drinking, it was my own cocktail that actually made me feel good. So exactly. Like you can make it fun. You can make it taste good. And I love when we can make it functional with the tinctures and elixirs and the cucumber is a really great functional food. It's hydrating. It's, I mean, there's so many different, I just, I can't speak enough about how significantly my life has improved. And I wasn't even a big drinker before at all. Like it just, it's crazy. Um, but it's fun because then it's made me look into like different mocktail benefits and things like that. So I would totally be down for a mocktail date. Yeah. You should write a, a recipe mocktail book. I could see that being a really big hit. 
And each I, one like I see the thing is I'm not things. super creative. Like you mentioned the cucumber spritz. I'm like, my mocktails usually consist of like a mineral sparkling water, some fresh mint from my garden and like a little bit of lime juice. Like I'm not creative at all. Like I just kind of whip some stuff together. But I see some people and they like put stuff on the rim of their glass and they're using all these different things. I'm like, wow, I just need more time yeah. and I will definitely explore those things, but maybe you should be the one that creates a, <laughs> create the book. You've got good we'll, ideas. We'll collaborate. Yeah, we'll we could collaborate. collaborate. I'm learning. Well, awesome. Dr. Haley, this has been so fun. Um, this has been packed with such incredible information. I know so many listeners are going to benefit. Where can they find you? So I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Haley Schaff, um, my website, drhaleyshoff.com. I'm starting to share a little bit on TikTok. It's kind of a new thing, but I'm trying to share some different stuff over there. If you're on TikTok, I'm Dr. Haley Schaff. And then uh, my podcast is Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. And I drop an episode every week. And I think that's all the places. Awesome. Well, I will include the links to all of those in the show notes. Can't wait to listen to your podcast as well. Yeah, we'll have to have you on the podcast. We'll talk about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I would love that. And my last question for you, Dr. Haley, and I love asking this question. This is probably my favorite one to ask in every interview is what does being well and strong mean to you? Ooh, being well and strong to me means that I am empowered to take my health in my own hands every single day, doing something to benefit my health and to get strong and to just live a better, more fulfilled life. Beautiful. Couldn't agree more. Well, Dr. Haley, thank you again so much for your time, for all of the incredible work you do in this space. And I'm looking forward to having you back on. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to support the show, please subscribe, leave a rating and review and share it with others. Be sure to visit wellandstrong.com to access notes from the show and to stay current with new content. I'm so grateful you joined me. Be well and be strong.